Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. New ways to test our treatments before we put them into the body and new ways to monitor our effectiveness. When it comes to taking samples, particularly in cancer treatment, biopsies are a very coarse tool for analysis. It might be an easy way to get out samples to track how effective our cancer treatments are. Plus, whenever you put something new into the body, it needs to undergo significant testing. We find out how that can be sped up. When you hear a news story, particularly about scientific medical research, a lot of the time you'll sit there wondering about this fantastic new discovery or new drug or new treatment technique that's been discovered, and then wait and wait, years upon years, and and actually, in reality, the pathway for development of a drug from first basic trials, uh, then maybe to animal trials, then to limited human testing, to approval uh, by an actual drug administration body like the FDA or the Foods that takes a long period of time. Uh, generally, the, the, generally, the prevailing wisdom is that a new drug, a new technique, a new medical treatment can take anywhere from five to ten years to actually be available for patients to use. And a lot of this comes down to the extreme care that we take when designing, testing, and validating new medicines to make sure that there are no unforeseen surprises. In the past, we have prescribed drugs for treatments of various things that have later been shown to have devastating impacts that were completely missed at the time of initial prescription. An example of that is obviously the thalidomide case, which was a drug prescribed to young mothers, or expected mothers, to be to try and help them and their baby's development. However, the actual end result of that drug prescription was that there was a large number of children who were born with very significant defects loss of life and a bunch of other conditions and that was actually found to be tied directly back to that drug which led to its rapid recall from the market and really set in place a case study for what can and can't be done. So when you design a new medical treatment, testing it then in the lab is immensely important because before you're allowed to stick it anywhere close to an animal or human body, you need to be relatively confident that it's going to work well. But the problem is, most of the tests at the moment are static. That is to say that they're done in incubated conditions that are completely static and don't actually represent the flowing, moving, interacting and changing aspects that are actually found inside the body. This is really problematic for things like nanoparticles or drugs, which have to generally flow through your bloodstream, interact with cells and a variety of different systems inside of you. And those interactions can cause all kinds of changes, abnormalities, and unusual effects. But it's also incredibly difficult to just simulate that in small petri dishes or fluid cells or samples. Because, well, these interactions and these effects, in trying to study them under a microscope instead of in a real-life living cell or actually in vitro in a person, is incredibly difficult. So, what are scientists to do? Well, a group of researchers from the University Hospital of Lausanne, led by Marjana Mjornik Ebersold, who's a postdoctoral fellow at the Institute, have been trying to redesign an experimental design for in vitro testing to better reflect what actually happens inside the body, specifically for testing nanoparticles or new nanomedicines. 
So how does it work? Instead of relying on static tests, which the conventional tests are, they've replaced them with dynamic tests that approximate the complex living conditions inside of a body, in particular the body's blood and lymphatic systems. And they do this and to replicate the varying blood body conditions in a lab, they had to replicate two things. The first is the behavior of these nanoparticles that they're testing in different flow conditions, which occurs in your blood and your lymph system as things move around your body. So they tried to replicate physically the actual flowing patterns that you would see inside those conditions. They also replicated the cleaning effect on nanoparticles that happens when things pass through the lymph nodes. The lymph nodes effectively like wash off nanoparticles before re-injecting them into the blood serum. And that's quite important because how your new nanoparticle or nanomedicine behaves whilst going through both the circulatory system, the blood system, and the lymphatic systems is immensely important. If it doesn't behave predictably and safely in all of those different conditions, then you've got a problem and you need to reconsider your design. So being able to test in these two types of additional areas, not just static tests, but also this circulatory system and also different processes, filtering mechanisms that the blood will go through is immensely important. A good example of this, which is what is used by the researchers to validate their design of their new method, was to look at the protein corona as a key parameter to reflect the similarity between in vitro and in viral in the lab discrepancies that they see in their tests. So a protein corona forms around nanoparticles when they come into contact with any biological environment. And what it does is it influences the behavior of these nanoparticles by basically altering their chemical properties, their destination, and how they interact with other cells. So it's immensely important, but it's sort of like a film or a coating that builds up around the actual nanoparticle itself. Now, this protein corona can be affected by different flow conditions and the type of fluid it's flowing in, i.e. if it's flowing in blood or the lymph systems. And for example... A lot of the time, researchers were ignoring the impacts of the lymph system on the protein corona. And that means that the fate of the nanoparticles inside has often been ignored in lab tests before actually being coming into contact with the patient's system, which meant that they were behaving in completely unpredictable ways when this wasn't considered. So you need to actually change both the flow conditions as well as the type of fluids that it's flowing in to actually really study and validate that your new nanoparticle work correctly, which is what they proved using an example of this protein corona. Now, a simple example of how these differences may even come into play from patient to patient. If you have a patient with high blood pressure and comparing them to a, a normal healthy person, the flow conditions that you're trying to model will actually be immensely different. So if you're designing a nanoparticle or a nanomedicine to deal with people in high blood pressure situations, then you need to actually make sure you model the flow in that high pressure situation because there's an immensely different behavior and that can change completely the, the ending surface characteristics of your nanoparticle. And it may not even work as you intended at all. So this is an important lesson for how we translate medicine and medical research from the lab to actually into practice inside people or animals, you name it. And it's really important that we get our tests right in the first place so that when we eventually do get to human testing, we can be confident that what we see lines up with our expectations. It saves a whole lot of time and avoids scientists having to go back to square one when their human trials don't work. So modeling 
and understanding the type of fluid and the type of flow conditions and where it flows through, like whether it's the blood system or the lymphatic system, is immensely important for looking at things such as protein coronas around nanoparticles and nanomedicines. But that's just one example, and it's part of a large lesson about how when we test new medicines and new drugs, we have to go to a lot of care and precautions to make sure it's safe before it gets to humans. And time can be saved by thinking a bit more about our tests and trying to make them more accurately reflect the actual conditions inside a person. fight against cancer, one of the most important and often initial tools in the arsenal of doctors is, of course, the biopsy. And a biopsy is basically a way of taking a sample of a particularly suspected infected area or tumour and then taking that back to study and look for signs of cancer. The problem with a biopsy is that, okay, for some types of conditions, undertaking the biopsy is relatively straightforward. A small surgical strike can be done to remove some sample tissue for analysis. But for other conditions and other tumours, a biopsy is immensely difficult, particularly for stuff that's really deep down, such as lymph node cancer or something that's quite inside the body and not easily accessible. And in such instances, it's really difficult to actually get anything that you can use to detect, study and analyse simply without putting your patient under a lot of stress and strain of a major medical procedure. Now, some researchers from Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center in Boston, Massachusetts, led by the primary investigator, Aparna Parikh, have come up with a new way to help get to and get samples, particularly for gastrointestinal GI cancers, uh, by using a method of liquid biopsy. By doing so, hopefully, of getting an easier access and easier testing to be able to monitor the spread and progression of cancer for diagnosis, but also for making sure that their treatments are effective and better tuning the work that they do in treatment. And this new method was uh, presented at the 19th World Congress on Gastrointestinal Cancer. And the idea behind it is by using a liquid biopsy, basically a blood test that detects circulating tumor DNA, otherwise referred to as CT DNA. And the benefit of doing so and by trying to find these traces, this circulating tumour DNA in the blood, will definitely help with earlier diagnosis. It's as basically an early alert that the treatment effect is potentially diminishing or changing in effectiveness, as well as helping guide the actual treatment process. Now, a lot of this research stems from the problems that some doctors are facing on a larger scale, but also on an individual patient scale, is that when they're treating a cancer in a patient, and that treatment stops working as well as it was before. Why and how this is happening is a question that occupies the minds of both the patient, of course, and also the doctor. But it's quite difficult to actually check how the, the treatments are actually working because actually up, getting an update on the progress is very, very difficult. You can't go in there and see just how much cancer you've managed to kill off or remove with the treatment without undertaking some pretty dramatic interventions which actually put everyone at more danger and risk even of potentially spreading the thing so how you actually monitor this spread is very very difficult and this is where the new method of using regular liquid biopsies in the patient's routine care is something that could be easily incorporated and simply done and by using this 
test to detect circulating tumor DNA, you actually get a really, really good insight into how effective drugs are in the current cancer treatment by basically monitoring this level over time. Now to test out this new method, I wanted to compare it to standard taking of tissue biopsies, which is the normal method, which is both painful and difficult to do. Um, and so you don't actually tend to do a lot of them. Whereas with the liquid biopsies, you can do them plenty of times, just as part of the regular treatment and care you would for a cancer patient. So you can do a lot more of them, which means you get a lot more data for analyzing and monitoring. So this trial took 40 patients who had various forms of gastrointestinal cancers. And all of these patients were originally responding quite well to conventional therapy and then had stopped. So what they then did afterwards that is actually conduct these liquid biopsies and track uh, how the disease as it began to progress through and monitored the levels of this circulating tumor DNA in their blood and checking it for any genetic mutations that might be making the tumors more resistant to treatment. And in a total of the 31 patients out of the 40 uh, had at least one mutation present in their ctDNA as a good indicator. 14 of those had more than one of those mutations. Now compared to those two-thirds of patients who had traditional tissue biopsies taken at the same time, the liquid biopsy method picked up the extra mutations that couldn't otherwise be seen in the tissue biopsies. Now, that means that the researchers will have a lot more information at their disposal for trying to identify which specific mutations might be responsible for the treatment to have more resistance uh, and might help clinicians identify what the next treatment pathway should be whether it should be another type of drug, a different method, or perhaps radiation. Now, these liquid biopsies methods is not regularly used outside of the research setting, but it might be a very useful way for doctors to increase the information at their disposal, specifically also in fields of gastrointestinal cancers, as an example, and give them another tool in their arsenal to deploy when treatments doesn't go the way that they were planning. It can help doctors figure out what their next steps might be to help their patients. So this is some great work being done by Aparna Parikh, MD, from the Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Centre in Boston. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From testing nanomedicines and nanoparticles in more realistic human-like conditions, and from new ways to analyse cancer of treatment's effectiveness using liquid biopsies. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.